This is Tell Your Story Alaska. We talk aviation, history, theology, but most of all, the raw stories of Alaskans and the gospel. Since we only have now 48 minutes to, <laughs> to drop you off. 
Um, so we'll go quick, but uh, yeah, tell us about your childhood, where you were born, where you grew up, and what it was like growing up. Yeah, so I grew up in Auburn, California, which is a small town in Auburn. Uh, I was the second youngest to six, six kids. Wow. I had three brothers, two sisters, and my dad and mom, and uh, yeah, all six of us were piled into one bedroom. We all used to share. <laughs> there was a lot of us. You guys always got along and never fought. <laughs> yeah. Never a fight. Not, right. a, not from me, at least. No. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, not much about my childhood other than a bunch of crazy stories. You know, I was almost kidnapped twice. Um, wow. The Lord spared me from, from who knows what by being kidnapped. Uh, that, that was in California? That was California, wow. yeah. yeah. Actually, interesting, my mom swears that one of the kidnappers was the night stalker Richard Ramirez. She actually got a look at guy. And she swears it was Richard Ramirez, the night stalker. Oh, yeah. Was he active, like, around that time? He was and, active. Uh, and in that area? So he, he was primarily in L.A., but... He did a stint in New York, uh, not, sorry, not New York, San Francisco. And San Francisco is only about an hour away, hour and a half away from where we are. And uh, so my mom, I mean, she got a good look at the guy because uh, he was looking in our window after trying to get me and my brother and sister. And uh, she swore it was the Night Stalker. Um, so, so uh, I mean... Okay, curiosity is just going nuts in my brain, so <laughs> what can you, like, can you say a little details about what happened, or do you want to just move? Yeah, no, no, um, just the nutshell version, uh, me and my brother and sister were playing outside because he had just learned how to ride his bike, and, and all of a sudden we heard someone from the bushes say, hey, kids, come here, come to me. And my sister grabbed, uh, my sister Courtney grabbed mine and my brother Jimmy's hand and ran with us. And it was like a movie, my brother Jimmy tripped and he looks at us and he's like, go on without me. So we, we did, we ran, we left him. Uh, but he was fast, he was fast, he got up to us. Uh, so we get to the door and it's locked and we're banging on the door to get in the house and my uh, brother and sister were messing with us, wouldn't let us in and finally my mom comes and unlocks the door. So I went and hid behind the couch and my sister was doing her homework and all of a sudden, she sees someone's face climb the tree and is looking in the window right at her. And so she screams, and my mom looks over, and she makes eye contact with the guy for about seven, eight seconds, and he didn't move. And then finally, he went down and took off. So the police came out. They didn't find anyone, but um, my mom had a good look at the guy, and she's like, that was Richard Ramirez, the night stalker. I, she swears to it to this day, so... You have a strange habit of having encounters with famous people. Because you just told me you uh, did some work for the Daily Wire and you met some of those guys. Yeah, yeah. So I was, um, interestingly, shooting a class uh, called Exodus Part 2 for Jordan Peterson on Daily Wire. And uh, they had Ben Shapiro there, Dennis Prager, um, some other uh, well-known like philosopher-type people. And they were just sitting in a round table, uh, opening the book of Exodus. They started with the Ten Commandments, and they were just asking, what does this mean? And how does this apply to people's lives? Um, from a, a Christian worldview, Christian perspective, there wasn't much I agreed with at the table. 
but it was very instructive to learn how the Jewish Orthodox views this, how a, a non-Jewish Orthodox views it, how a clinical psychologist views it. So hearing their perspectives was really fascinating. And these guys all have brilliant minds, super sharp minds. Um, so I was just, you know, soaking it up, listening and learning from them. Oddly enough, they wanted to get um, someone like John MacArthur on there, but his health hasn't been as good. But they did ask him to come and be a part of that class. So it would have been very interesting to, to have him at the table with those group of guys. But yeah, Jordan Peterson was a super nice guy. He had us all over to his house afterwards. And it was sort of like being in a dream, I was telling you, where I'm in his backyard and he's talking to me about how he feeds alligators in his backyard in Florida, so um, it's certainly thinking of, you know, deep sea of philosophical issues as he feeds the gators. <laughs> How would it relate to psychology of the human mind? Yeah, I was kind of glad the conversation was light because I'm like, I'm not going to be able to hang with this guy, so let's just talk about alligators. Yeah, there you go. I'll keep the topic where I can handle it. <laughs> and I know nothing about alligators, but I was like, this is something I can talk about. <laughs> I've been to the zoo before. I, there you I, think go. I, can, I can hang with this guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. So um, let's go back to um, your, your growing up and... Tell us basically your like salvation story. Yeah, how did you go from you know unbelief to belief? What's that story? Yeah, so I um, I was super self-centered guy. I mean, I lived for myself. Um, I was about self-worship uh, and just having. Uh, I, that's been the biggest thing for me is just self-centeredness. And as a kid, like, I, I loved that. I loved the attention from other people. And I remember in eighth grade, um, because I was so selfish, all my friends abandoned me in eighth grade. They're like, we don't want to be around that guy anymore. And so I lost all my friends in eighth grade. And I remember it really rattled me. And it was at that time, oddly enough, people were talking about Y2K and the world coming to an end. you know, and 
And so I did some like soul searching. It was right around the time of Y2K, people talking about the end of the world. So I, uh, I remember I went to church a few times when I was young, and I, the only thing I remembered was the pastor said that Revelation talked about the end of the world. So I started reading Revelation, and uh, I didn't understand a word of it. And uh, and so I I I, I was like, I got to start from the beginning. So I started reading Genesis and I started going through the Bible. And I wasn't a Christian at the time, but I just was like, there's something different about this book. Uh, nobody had really ever opened the Bible with me, even at the church I was at. They, all I remember is like stories, but I don't ever remember them opening a Bible or really us having a Bible. Um, and, you know, I grew up around a lot of alcohol and things like that, and I saw, like, destructiveness of those kinds of things. And so there was a lot of things in my life I was, like, wrestling with. I knew my life was miserable. I knew, like, drugs and alcohol weren't the answer. I had saw the effects of all that. And so I started going to a Bible study with my brother and sister-in-law because she got pregnant, and she told him, I'll only be with you if you attend this Bible study with this guy who I know is a pastor. So we started going to that Bible study and uh, he preached to us from Romans, from James, showed the gospel to us, pre preached Christ to us. And there was like three or four of us in that Bible study who all got saved. We were like high school, college age. And uh, so I came to know the Lord and it was funny, the church I went to, uh, they were really heavy, like, homeschool, and, like, the idea of, like, non-homeschoolers coming there was kind of, like, some of them were opposed to it, and they said, if you bring them in here, they might marry, like, someone from this church, and I ended up marrying one of their daughters from that church. <laughs> one of the homeschoolers? One of the homeschoolers, so, um, yeah, I ruined the whole thing, man. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I met my wife, like, uh, about wife Amanda about three years after getting saved and uh, we were married young I mean we dated for like uh, um, two months and got engaged and then we were married in four months so six months total we were married so when you know you know when you know you know, you know, you know. Uh, yeah God provided Adam a wife and one day he provided me a wife in two months you know so six months total <laughs> It's great. And how many years of matrimony now? Uh, we've been married 17 years now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And with your siblings sharing a room, you've never fought or had any. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting because my brother, uh, who I was really close with, he was in that Bible study and he got saved through that study too. The Lord, the Lord brought us both to Christ through that study. And uh, he passed away 10 years ago. He died suddenly from a sickness. He was 29 years old. He died on uh, his daughter's fifth birthday. And uh, so um, that was a big trial in my life. Uh, yeah, um, that ties in a bit with Buckland, too, and having to leave Buckland. There was a couple things that really hit me at the same time. Yeah, pretty close, pretty close, yeah. And what were, like, why was that a struggle? I mean, obviously we kind of know why, but talk about that struggle. What was it? Yeah, so um, so we moved to Buckland as missionaries. We were there for three and a half years. And, uh, you know, I can get into more details on that, but uh, we had 
black mold in our house that was, you know, we couldn't figure out why I was sick. My twin sons, Vinny and Jules, were born there. We couldn't figure out why they were sick all the time. And uh, we loved being there, we loved serving, but my health was in, like, steady decline, really bad. And so, my brother died right at that time, and then, like, I had a severe asthma attack one night in the house in Buckland. Um, had to get medevaced out, woke up in a hospital in Kotzebue, and uh, then passed out again and woke up in a basement in the church in Kotzebue. Oh, wow. And uh, basically, Can you briefly, what, what's Buckland and where is it? Yeah, so Buckland, Alaska, and maybe I can back up. I'll back up. So during our 17 years at the Bible camp, we, um, we met some campers that were from Buckland. And we started doing winter trips up to Buckland because we're like, man, we just connect with these kids. And, you know, they, they seem to really be hungering for the truth of God's word. And, and so we go to the community of Buckland on a winter trip, and we fell in love with the community. We said, man, we love the people here. This feels like home. We want to move here and, and preach the word of God here. So we started praying about that. Right at that time, I was going to Master's Seminary in L.A. Uh, to train to be a missionary. And uh, I knew, like, from my first year there, like, I wanted to move to Buckland. And I actually almost quit seminary at least three or four times. Uh, but Roger and Carol were both like, you can't quit. Don't come here until you finish. So, uh, so they wouldn't let me quit. Um, so I finished seminary in three and a half years. We were going to the Bible camp every year during the summers and doing winter trips up here. Um, and Master Seminary's in L.A. Um, that's where we lived. And right upon, like, graduation time, the elders of Buckland invited us to come to Buckland and to uh, live in the uh, old clinic there and run a youth center with the kids. So Amanda and I, right after graduation, uh, came to Cochran Hills Bible Camp, flew out with some friends, loaded up a whole Costco's worth of years worth of food, drove it to Soldatna, flew it up to Buckland, uh, and then the community of Buckland, so awesome, they, they received the plane and unloaded everything. Wow. Loaded our house with all the food and drinks, and they were just so welcoming and incredible. Um, so we get to Buckland, and... Uh, a month after uh, graduating and then right after camp. And uh, we just start a youth program there where we basically do uh, a variety of things after school, tutoring, game nights, movie nights. But the primary emphasis was we are a uh, Bible, um, a Bible chapel for the kids basically. So. Our primary emphasis was Bible teaching for elementary, junior high, and high school age kids. Uh, so through that ministry, we were able to preach several messages a week, um, sing worship songs with the kids, do one-on-one -on -one counseling, um, and we did that for three and a half years. And I mean, there were some nights where I counted in our front room. We had 70 kids in our front room on some nights. Wow. And it I didn't know there were 70 people in Buckland. <laughs> <laughs> we were just like body to body in there. I mean, it was like the heat 
It would be like negative 40 outside, but you'd go outside often to cool off. It's just so hot inside the house without the heater on or anything. Um, and we loved every bit of being there and breaching the word and just a lot of the adventures going on with the kids and being a part of the basketball program. And, you know, as a guy who grew up uh, where you just go to the local mechanic or you call, like, the washing machine company to come fix something. Living out there and not really having a lot of mechanical skills, I was totally dependent on our neighbors and uh, we had some incredible neighbors who'd come over and teach me how to cut fish, teach me how to hunt caribou, teach me how to um, fix my four-wheeler. Like, I'm just not a mechanically-minded guy. and. Uh, God really blessed us with some great friends up there who took care of us, so it's a neat um, concept. The, um, a friend that I've been talking about the last year in Luke 10, because Jesus sends them out, he says, don't bring anything. Yeah, in other words, be needy. You know, we, we always go as the providers somehow. I think the missionaries need to do this out there like 2,000. Yeah, okay. Um, you're not coming up in the box, but uh, I'm coming up on the cost now. Okay, I'm looking for the glow and looking up for the music. You'll hear it, man. It's coming soon. <laughs> yeah, I guess for the listeners, I'm not sure if you can hear uh, the other pilot talking to me, but he's, we're kind of uh, flying head-to-head -head like we're going to pass each other, so we're always checking to make sure um, there were different altitudes and all that because we're on the same flight path, so that's what we're doing there. Yeah, Adam, I'm at uh, 3,100. I don't know what your altitude is. 26. So if we stay there, we should be done. Okay, I'll stay there. So, Joey, do you um, what is like a particularly memorable uh, story? If you could tell one story briefly from um, that time, the three and a half years in Buckland, besides getting sick in Medivac. <laughs> <laughs> young people would come to our house and, um, and you know, they would come up to me after or come up to Amanda after a Bible study session or, you know, preaching time. And I remember we were preaching, I was preaching through the gospel of John and, and uh, preaching Christ and a young man came up to me and just said he was lost. He just looked at me and he said, I'm lost. And I, I want to know Christ, and I want to repent, I want to turn. I mean, he came to me with those words, and and so I, I just told him, like, I went to Romans 10, 13, and I said, hey, I can't call on Jesus for you, but all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, and and I believe that night he called on the name of the Lord, and he was saved, and, and um, just seeing how God's word goes to every corner of the earth and even in our community of Buckland how the word of God went forward and in that young man's life God used that to change his heart and open his eyes to Christ. Uh, that to me is the most memorable part. But the other thing that I think was memorable was just, just being with my wife every day and us serving together and um, laboring alongside of each other to, to proclaim Christ and to, to just serve the Lord. Um, you know, we, we, uh, we worked ourselves to exhaustion a lot of times, and uh, we 
we just fall in bed and just be like, I don't, I don't think I can get out of this bed. Like, <laughs> but just being together and laboring alongside each other was just so exciting. And being a part of that community, you know, um, there's just so many fun stories, you know. It sounds like despite, you know, the challenges and stuff, like all of that drew you and your wife together. During oh, big years. time, big time. Yeah, you are. I will be in Bluford now. We're still uh, several miles out of Moose Heart. Let me see. We're about uh, 10 miles from Moose Heart, or a little less. Uh, what's your ground speed? Uh, ground speed 152. Sam at uh, 3,200. All right. So uh, we're closing pretty quick. I'm doing a 140 mile an hour across the ground. So we ought to see each other pretty soon. I'll turn on my landing light. We should be zooming by them pretty soon. Somewhere around here, huh? Somewhere around here. But <laughs> in my imagination, some of the listening's like, well, is this guy gonna pass now? <laughs> For us, it's exciting because we're seeing all kinds of cool stuff, but listening is not. <laughs> Looking for the guy. He's got a long beard. That's how we'll recognize him. Yeah, we joke that um, as I fly along, there's this angelic glow about my plane. He says as we approach, he can hear the angelic music. <laughs> so we'll see what he says. Hey, Adam, are you hearing the angelic music yet? Faintly hear something in the background. Yeah, I knew it. I knew we got a new. That means we're close. Um, 
so it's like yeah so i mean there's so many funny stories where you're just trying to learn how to live and and uh yeah you're just yeah feeling constantly and yeah feeling dumb is the way to put it i i know the feeling i i lived in mexico i've married a gal who grew up in mexico and i moved there and I just felt so dumb all the time. I was wondering over cultural things. I was trying to learn the language. My wife was already fluent. Yeah, just that, like, why am I here? I just feel dumb all the time. It's like, men want respect. And I had none of it for years. But, you know, that's, I, I can totally relate. Yeah, and, I mean, thankfully the folks there were so, like, just patient. I mean, patience is a big thing there. They just teach and teach, so... Yeah, it was great. It was great. Uh, great to go in dumb and be able to be taught so much. It does seem like this. Kind of back to the concept of like being needy. Like, don't bring a cloak. That, you know, when you go to these places. Right. There, there, I think there's something to that. Just to go and let the community serve you. They'll teach you. You learn from them. Yeah. And that, you know, it makes you an endearing person in the community. It, it really. I think it really did bond me with a lot of people because. Uh, that's that's a whole other part of the ministry that opened up was um, you know I'd have somebody come over to help me work on something and installing internet or whatever and, and they'd stick around we'd chat we'd open up the Bible and just go to different passages and uh, I feel like every day was just an open Bible on the table talking with someone whether it was a eight year old or a, a seventy five year old whatever you know. Uh, there would always be folks in the house and we would just be talking about God and the Bible and Christ and um, I loved every bit of that, you know, and and that's that's a great thing about Buckland is they're very spiritual people, they're very mindful of spiritual things and you know, I've only encountered maybe one atheist there who I don't I don't he wasn't really atheist, I think he was more agnostic like uh, I, there may be a God out there, but I, I don't really care was kind of what he was saying. But, uh, um, but yeah, they're, they're just very spiritually minded. I mean, the whole village shuts down for the church services on Wednesday and Sunday. Wow. All the stores close, the gym closes, everything's closed. Wow. Yeah, wow. Well, let's talk about um, you, you, there was mold in the place you were staying, right. you had health issues, you were medevaced out, you woke up, you ended up waking up in the basement and, right. um, in Cotsabue. Right. So, uh, and you guys ended up leaving Buckland, so pick up your story from there. Yeah, so once we left Buckland, um, like basically after I woke up in that basement, um, my wife called me, she said, hey, uh, I found out where you are, like, we're gonna, we're gonna head down to Anchorage, we need to go see doctor. So I did, we went down to Anchorage and we started meeting with uh, several pulmonologists who inspected our, my lungs and concluded that I had had a severe asthma attack that was potentially triggered by mold being a severe, uh, major factor in that severe asthma attack. So, um, basically I met with five pulmonologists and all of them said, you cannot go back into that house. You just can't. Um, it's gonna, it's gonna kill you. So at that point we were like temporarily living in Wasilla area and we're like, 
we have to figure something out because we, we don't have anywhere to live here. We can't go back to our house. So we moved to California. It was right before that, like a little before that, my brother passed away. Um, so we came back to California and I was just devastated. I think the loss of my brother, the fact that we had to leave what we called home in Buckland, um, the ministry that we had trained for for years to be able to teach the Word of God and have it all just go away like that devastated me. And, um, you know, a door opened up to uh, start preaching in uh, the church that was our primary supporter, our sending church down in California, and so I did do that. And I, I did enjoy that. I, I did lo I love any time I get to preach the word, but there was this lingering anger towards God over um, having to leave Buckland and losing my brother. So I just for six months started just having major anger problems and like I was angry at God, constantly questioning him, constantly uh, fighting with him and uh, I've never struggled with cussing as a Christian. I started swearing, like, and that's just not something I had ever really battled with as a Christian. And uh, my anger towards God eventually resulted in me telling the church down there that I just have to resign. I, I can't, I'm angry towards God, and I can't, I can't keep serving with this anger towards Him. And I remember that night after I resigned, I went in my room in my house and I turned my apartment at that time and fell on my knees and I, I did, I broke down in tears and I cried out to God for forgiveness and just asked him to, to forgive me for my anger towards him. It was what some people might call going to the cross moment or I was reading Job a lot and uh, I remember Job contending with God and at the end of the book he, he says, I had heard about God but now I had seen him. And Job was a righteous man, he was a believer and I feel like up until that moment I would heard about God but at that point I had seen him and, and I had come to terms with the safest place to be is in God's will. And that was a struggle for me leaving Buckland was I, I was just fighting with God's will in that. And, and, I, and the truth hit me that the safest place to be is in God's will always. And so um, the struggle's gotten easier, but it's still a struggle not being in Buckland. I mean, it's hard for us and uh, um, still wrestle with that. Um, like, the, like wrestling with the why or like... Um what is, what's the wrestling? Wrestling with the why and just not being there. You know, we, we had moved up there and set our hearts to be there long term. And, and uh, um, I think it was just such disappointment for me to not be there. So I still struggle with not being there. Um, and uh, Amanda and I have had many conversations about it and wrestled and prayed. And we continue to pray and continue to just ask God if there's a way to make that way and open that door again and so um, thankfully like we've been able to continue doing the Bible camp ministry we still get to minister not just to kids in Buckland but Kuslia and Galena and Selwick and Ruby and Tanana um, in a variety of other locations Grayling and Vic and 
And we meet young people year after year, and uh, one of the coolest things is when camp ends, I'm on the phone, we're on the phone with them. Man is on the phone with them, I'm on the phone with them, we're praying with them, we're going through scripture with them. And it's a year-long discipleship thing. It's not in face-to-face contact, but um, we talk with a lot of the young people throughout the year, and uh, we love that. Um, so it's a, it's a huge blessing to still have things like Facebook, which I know people hate, but I love it, like, because I have such good contact there with people from all over the world. I actually have, I had a couple of conversations with staff, the, like the first time that volunteers staff first. Yeah. And I was like, you got Facebook and, uh, you know, I don't know, social media and all that stuff. It's good that you're not on it, but consider getting on Facebook because that's how you connect. It's so true. Like, I don't really use Facebook much other than to just talk on Messenger with, I treat it like kind of texting in a lot of ways. Yeah. But we did use Facebook for live streaming our messages at Concord Hills Bible Camp this year, and that was yeah. awesome. So it's kind of like a hammer, you know, you can use it to pound a nail or like somebody's head. Like, it's kind of, you know. <laughs> You gotta use it right. I'm all for that, man. It's so true. Uh, I know people spy on us through Facebook and stuff, but there's really not much from my life to, to spy on or take, so I'm not worried about it. We've got, we're 15 minutes out of Ninana now, um, and I gotta, you know, kind of do the talking and landing probably, I don't know, five, eight minutes out or something, so. I wanted to uh, jump to quickly tell us about um, Storylit Films, your yeah. business, and then your thoughts for the future. Absolutely. So um, after resigning from ministry, I I needed to work to make money. Um, I'd say if there's anything like if I'm not doing ministry, like one thing I love doing is I love uh, using a camera and telling stories and. I started like a, a freelance company called Storylit Films and uh, cool name by the way. Yeah, thank you. Cool. My wife came up with it. So yeah. she, she was the brains behind that. Oh, cool. Thank you, brother. And uh, yeah, so um, I just prayed, Lord, please provide for us. And it's funny, I get unbelievers asking me like, how do you get work? How do you get work? And I just tell them I pray. I, 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 there's no secret. I don't have like a marketing thing. I'm not a I'm not, I'm a terrible salesman. I just pray, and I pray every day for a variety of things. I have a checklist on my phone, uh, or a prayer list where I check things off. Um, when they get answered, I put a check mark by it and put the date there of when it was answered. But I pray every day for that, and uh, God provides, and um, I've got to work actually on a lot of like Christian film type things. Um, I've shot a, a Christian documentary called American Gospel. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so I shot uh, one of the, the, the um, series of that, the third installment of American Gospel. That's a, I, had, I didn't ever saw the full version, just the free one on uh, YouTube or whatever, but yeah. powerful stuff. It, that was a good one. You know, the reason I signed on to that was because I knew these guys really just wanted to get the gospel out, and that was their motivation. I said, I'm all for that. Um, oh. And so, uh, and then uh, in the fall, I'm supposed to be shooting like a Christian feature film, uh, actually local in, in Auburn, California, which is kind of crazy. Um, 
I think they got the, uh, what's the, what was the kidnapper's name? Oh, uh, yeah. I think he's in jail now. So, yeah. Ramirez is gone, so yeah. I'm safe, man. I can go back into the woods and uh, ride a bike, you know. There you go, yeah. <laughs> you can go back, it's okay. Uh, so, yeah, uh, so God's just blessed that. Um, and and uh, it's, been, it's been fun. I wouldn't say it's, like, the main thing I want to do, um, but it's something I enjoy doing, and... Uh, one thing I, I've really wanted to do over the years is actually create a feature-length documentary on Roger, Car Roger and Carol and, and uh, the ministry at the camp. And uh, so I'm talking with him about doing that, but I've been collecting footage over the years, the last five or six years. And yeah, we'll see what the Lord does with all that. You know, we have some, um, a lot of flight footage. I have so much flight footage on my iPhone. There you go. But I need, I need your cool angles. Like you got your GoPro on the wing. I want those angles. There you go. You gotta get me. I, some I got them. You're my guy, man. I'm your guy. Send me that. Okay. Um, but as for the future, you know, recently, uh, as of last year and this year, we've been talking about potentially moving back to Alaska and starting at the Bible camp. You know, we were talking about this earlier. Right. And moving in with Roger and Carol uh, for, you know, a year, two years, and spending time at the Bible camp and ministering through there, and you you being a part of that, you and Erica being a part of that. And, um, and then from there, using that as a step to moving back to Buckland. So, um, you know, there's an old hymn that always rings in my head. Only one life to live, and this soon shall pass. Only what's done for Christ shall last. And um, our heart is to live for Christ. And, uh, you know, I've always said if the door to Buckland opened back up, I would drop my camera like Peter dropped his nets when he was out of ministry. And he jumped in the water and went right back to Christ, and Christ put him into service. And I always tell Amanda, if the Lord opens that door, we're dropping our nets and we're going, you know. And, and uh, that's our prayer for the future and, and what the Lord may or may not do. So that just makes me think of, I think it's Isaiah. It's a verse I love, but it says, I set my face like flint. Yeah. And it's that concept of you're ultra focused on something and you're just shoving everything else aside. Yep. And I uh, just see that in you for getting to Buckland, but even more so just pursuing Christ and what he wants and making his name known. That is it, brother. That is our heart right there. And, uh, yeah, we just, uh, we're praying that that door opens up and, uh, and God makes a way. So, uh, please pray for us for that and, and, uh, that the Lord would just open that door and, and we would be able to go there long term and, and, uh, you know, just start a church and hold church services and all of that, you know, and, and, uh, and when I say start a church, I mean the building a facility, a, a church facility and a home there. And uh, you know, I, I know the church is the people of God, and, and, um, but that's our heart's desire is to be there long-term and ministers. I know you got to focus now. We're at the nine-minute mark, so I've got to, yeah, we're getting, we're getting a little bit close. So, yeah, well, Joey, thank you. Uh, Man, there's so many things I actually didn't know. Like, you were almost kidnapped and... <laughs> yeah, um, I didn't know that you were medevaced out of Buckland, but there's, you know, a lot of other things I didn't know, so... 
Anyway, thanks for uh, taking your last flight out of camp. You were here three weeks, right? Leading three weeks. Yeah, we were almost here for four, but they had such a big team coming in the fourth week. We we almost wanted to just open up our housing so everybody could be better accommodated this week. So, right, right. Well, uh, my wife and I have prayed for you in the last year, and we will continue to pray. Um, that's the one. The main thing I did not know about you is your you, this drive for Buckland. And uh, so that helps me to pray with more clarity for you. And hopefully one day I'll be uh, flying you in there. Thank you, brother. That means the world. And uh, grateful to God for you and all you serve and do at the camp. You are a huge, huge blessing, not just to me, but to the, uh, the hundreds of people you fly into camp every year for us at Concord Hills. So thank you. You're welcome. It's definitely... Um, a, a very high highlight of the year for us. So awesome. That's awesome. Thank you, brother. Alright, man. Well that wraps it up. Thank you all for listening. And uh, we got we're like eight minutes outside of Ninana and I have to start doing the boring stuff like radio calls and weather and blah blah blah. So we're gonna wrap it up and uh, thank you all for tuning in. This is Joey Catches's story. Thank you, thank you. <laughs>